friends. Welcome to another episode of Custom Made Kid. I'm your host, Amy Williams. If you're new here, I'm excited you've joined us today. This podcast is a place where real conversations about infertility, foster care, and adoption happen. My hope is that by the end of today's episode, you have learned something, been challenged, are encouraged in some way, or maybe feel less alone. We all have our own unique journey. No two are the same, and no one's is perfect. When Abby Phillips was a little girl, she expected that she would grow up and be on the mission field in another country, working with children in some way. Little did she know that one day that mission field would actually be her very own backyard. But the Lord rarely works like we expect, and as a single, Abby chose to dive into the world of foster care. She ended up parenting a sibling group of three, and a few years later, when reconciliation proved not to be an option, Abby adopted these beautiful girls. She is now their forever mom. But Abby didn't stop there and is now also parenting a second sibling group of three. That's right, she's parenting six kids right now. As you'll hear in this episode, Abby's story is a powerful testimony to trusting God with your yes, even when it's scary. She is a true living example of brave obedience. I think you're going to love today's episode. Hey, Abby, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining me tonight. I appreciate it. I'm so excited. You got all your babies in bed? They are in bed. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? Bedtime I mean, I... has been a struggle lately. <laughs> I love them so much, but when they go to sleep, there is a part of me that like gives praise hands. Oh, for sure. I think every mom ever could say that's so true. <laughs> yeah, and they're so sweet when they're sleeping, and they're such terrorists when they're awake sometimes. So, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well, so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Abby. I am from a small town in Ohio. Um, I am an adoptive and a foster mom. So I adopted three little girls from foster care in 2017. I'm currently fostering another sibling group of three right now. So I have six kiddos currently. (laughs) Add that up. Six kiddos. The three children that you mentioned that you have have adopted, they Mm -hmm. are a sibling group, correct? Yes, they're a sibling group. So they have the same birth mom. They all three have um, different dads. But how neat that they have the opportunity now to be raised together and they have a consistent home life and somebody to invest in them. Like what a beautiful outcome. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if you were to see them together, it would break your heart thinking that they could have been separated in foster care because a lot of times sibling groups do get separated in foster care if there's not a family willing to take all three or all four, however many it is. Right. Well, wow. What a blessing that they did not have that and that they Mm -hmm. have you. Let's start with just a high level question. What in the world does dear little ducklings mean? Okay, so that is my Instagram name. I don't know, just within the last like two years, I've had it said to me so much like there's Abby and her little ducklings because my (laughs) girls are just with me wherever I go. So it kind of became like a cute little joke, you know, like my little ducklings are following me, following me through life or wherever we're going, they're with me. So um, I named it that 
Yeah, I named it that because we're just we're doing life together and they're following they're following closely behind me. They're watching everything I do. They're watching, you know, how I live this life and it was just a testament to how I'm raising them. Yeah. 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 I love that. Very cute and obviously personal too, and I love that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, so six children. Yes. You've got three that are adopted. You're fostering yes. three. Mm-hmm. How did foster care and adoption become a part of your story? Give me give me some backstory. Well, I would say ever since I was a little girl, I wanted to be a part of adoption somehow. Like I can remember asking my mom when I was like eight or nine years old, just begging her to adopt And I don't even know how I really knew that because I never knew anyone who was adopted when I was younger, but I would just, I would ask her to adopt. I would say I wanted to adopt a kid when I was older or whatever. But in my mind, when I was probably in elementary middle school, I always thought I was going to be like in Africa somewhere working at an orphanage, um, doing some kind of mission work overseas. Um, and then I would say when I was a young adult, I met a family. They were a foster family and I just fell in love with them. I fell in love with their story. I really, for the first time ever, kind of heard about foster care and saw it firsthand. Saw this awesome foster family that just like sparked something within my heart. And I feel like from then on, I just knew that foster care was going to be a part of my life, a main part of my life. So past that, you moved into foster care. Did the sibling group come to you all at one time or how did that dynamic happen? Or what was your first experience with foster care? Kind of lead me into where you were then to where you are today. So when I became um, a licensed foster mom, and I don't think I mentioned I'm a single foster mom and adoptive mom. So when I first became licensed, I had in my heart for some reason, I just wanted to foster like a baby or a child, (laughs) just one, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I was licensed for maybe just a few hours before I got a call for a teenager. Let me just say the intense fear that I felt when I got that phone call for a teenager. I was like, that's not what I, that's not what I asked for. Um, well, this is probably not podcast appropriate, but I would have pooped my pants. Oh, it was like, I was so scared because also like I'm, I'm young and in my mind, I'm still like 17. So when they were asking me to take a teen, I was like, Ooh, that's like your peer group. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Or ish. Like, you know, a little bit of difference between. Yeah. Like could not have actually been her mom. (laughs) Like, so crazy. Yeah. So something in my heart just said, just say yes. So I did. And I ended up fostering her for about nine months, but I'm telling you that because during this time, so I had this teenager, um, I love her so much. We are still in contact today. She was one of the best decisions of my life to say yes to, because she truly blessed me so much having her in my home. So during that time I'm fostering her and I get a call to do respite. You know what? No, I have to take that back. I actually did respite for these three little girls before I had her, I believe. 
but it was just for a weekend. So it's they were all already blur when you have six. It children. really is. It really <laughs> is. So they, so these girls were actually already placed into foster care. They were in another home. This home just needed a break for a weekend. So that's how I met these girls. But then I'm fostering this teen, and I know this is going to sound so crazy, but during that time, I woke up one morning. I was, I told my teenager, I was like, I know this sounds really crazy, but I just feel I've never been pregnant, but I'm like, I feel pregnant, not physically, but I feel like I'm expecting. And she was like, what does that even mean? I don't even know, but I'm telling you, like, I feel like I'm expecting. She was like, that doesn't actually sound that weird when you put it into terms of like, I feel like when God's calling us into something, not only does he really never go according to our plan, because that would be too easy and he would never get the glory for it that way. But I do feel like he preps the field. You know what I mean? Like he's about to sow a story and you're part of it. He is kind. So he's not going to just drop a bomb on you that you can't handle. It may feel like you can't handle it, but you can. And, And for me, I tend to, I know that when most people see me, they're like, she is brave or she is courageous. But inside, I feel like I could easily give in to fear more than I could be bold about things. So uh, me for too. me, yeah. So for me, it's almost like God just really likes to give me like just a little tiny glimpse of something before it actually happens so that <laughs> when it, when the call comes, I'm not freaked out as much as I probably would have been had I not felt something was coming. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, see, that's hilarious because I'm one that sort of like when it gets crazy, I'm like, I can do this, you know, kind of thing. So I feel like God rarely ever gives me prep, but it sounds like he knows you need it and does that for you. Girl, I'm going to whisper something to you before (laughs) it actually comes because you're going to need to marinate. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I said, so I said this to my team and it had to have been like that same day or maybe the next day that I get the call that this, the current foster family was going to be disrupting these girls, um, for personal reasons. And they were asking if I would like to take them as a placement. So did she think you were clairvoyant or get a little afraid of you at that point? Well, she, okay. So during that time, no, I just, I just tell her, you know, like, I don't know why, like I just have, well, I do know why, but I have discernment about certain things. You know, when I told her, I feel like I'm expecting, she, she was just like, okay. But then when, when she heard that I got the call, she was like, Oh my gosh, you were right. <laughs> this is what the call was about. The the expecting, the feeling of like just something's coming. See, um, I love that because what an amazing example to her, not just in the sense that you're living your life in action. You're not mm-hmm. just saying I care about people and I want to do what God's called me to do, but here you are living it out with her. And then on top of that, you almost prepped her with your prepping and then she got to see God move in your life. And hopefully, she really did. Like, yeah, God really, God really worked on her heart, and just she's she's incredible as is. She's an incredible girl. But the seeds that were planted as well, because of the things that she got to walk with me through, um, was amazing. 
That's awesome. So let's segue from what we kind of talked about Uh our plan was for a second because of this, this teen that you love so much and you accepted into your home and that was a scary moment. And yet you say, we're still connected. We still have this great relationship. I think adoption has kind of a stigma, especially in Christian circles. It's like the, I want a baby, you know, Mm -hmm. that's safer. So if I'm going to say yes to God, at least let me do the safe route, right? There are teens out there, lots of them that have the same need that these little kids do. And Mm -hmm. I think there's a stigma that like, if they're in foster care, they must be quote unquote damaged. And I hate to say that word, but I have to speak honestly. Mm -hmm. because that's the only way things get accomplished. Tell me what you would say to someone that says, oh, I don't know if I could do a teen. There's just too much history there, too much quote unquote damage. That wasn't your experience. So I feel like you would probably say, don't have that small of a mind, right? Right. And I would even say that is such a common, I mean, you said it, it's so common that so many people are like, well, I can't do a teen. But at the same time, I said that as well. But then it took me like 20 seconds of just brave obedience to say yes to having her come into my home, even though I was scared out of my mind. You know, how am I going to parent a teenager? All of the things that are going to come at me when I have a teen in the house, you know, like dealing with teenage issues. And on top of it, she's in foster care. She might have some And she's trauma. a girl. Hormones. She's a girl. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But she's a real person who just needed someone to show up for her in her life at that time. And I could be that for her in so many ways. She blessed me so much more than I could have ever helped her. That gives me tears. You know, I mean, there are yeah. so many people out there that all they need is a chance, you know, oh, and that yeah, sure. that's in the adoption and foster care world. But that's in life in general. People just need a chance. They do. You know, like I said, I still talk to her. I just talked to her a couple days ago and she, when she left my house, she said, you know, something along the lines of, you will always be a second mom to me. And, you know, she just graduated this year. I took her in when she was a freshman. She only stayed about nine, 10 months, but she just graduated. She's doing amazing things with her life. And if I could say anything to anyone who is just like, hesitant to foster a teenager, you just don't know what you're missing. Yes, there will be some hard times, some struggles, but you're going to have that no matter who you're parenting, no matter what age group you're parenting, you're going to have struggles. But there are so many blessings when it comes to fostering teenagers. Yeah. And they can tell you what's up. You know, I mean, they can actually tell you what they're feeling. And I feel like the younger ages, sometimes they don't even know how to tell you it's yeah. the fit yeah. that tells you that there's uh-huh. something wrong or there's something struggling. Um, and teenagers like to sleep in. <laughs> oh, and there's that. I feel like I'm never going to sleep again with all these young children at home. Yes. <laughs> While we're in this kind of conversation, we're talking about the things that people might not know or the or that. What are some of the most asked questions that you get as a single mom with three daughters and then three other children now, so six? I mean, when you walk in a place, people probably take notice. Oh, yeah, they do. They for sure do. If we're talking like what's one of the weirdest things that someone has said to me. (laughs) Let's start with that. I want to know what people ask you most often, but I want to hear the weird one too. Well, you know, I, I was in Walmart 
once. <laughs> this was this was at the beginning of my journey. So I had very little ones. Like my girls would have been nine months, four, and like eight at the time. Okay. And then I believe I had a couple others. So I may have still had the team. And I remember being in the checkout line and I didn't have a whole lot of support. So they were with me. All of my kids were with me. And someone made the comment behind me, she must be real busy, but (laughs) (laughs) she's not talking like my hands are full. She was talking, I must be real busy. Yeah, that's, (laughs) and did you just want to say, yes, I am, you know, you should have said something like totally shocking. Oh my goodness. But it was like, it, it, okay. So it offended me, of course, but I didn't respond, but I almost like, I just wanted to say, you don't even know my life. Oh, please, please don't. (laughs) Yeah. I actually had a similar experience like that after college. I was watching one of my friend's kids, and they have the most beautiful children in the world, but they are not white. Mm -hmm. And I had give like, I guess they were on a date or something, and I had taken the children with me to the mall, and I'm like lily white. And then they're with me, and the comments that people made or the looks that I got because I was with children of a different race from Mm -hmm. people of my own race was the first time I experienced what someone of another race must feel like. Yes, for sure. And And so eye-opening and disappointing. Like I wanted to say, I was just just wanted to say, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like that's probably what you should have said to that lady. (laughs) And, And I don't know if you felt this too, because I'm also like the the whitest that white can get. And I have three beautiful girls who are, I mean, we just got all different colors in our family. So gorgeous. But there for a while, I really let it get to me where we would walk in somewhere and I would almost look to see who was looking. And I would Mm -hmm. almost feel like I had to justify our story And then I just got to this place one day where I was like, you know what? We walk into a room and we just naturally command attention, but it's in like the best way possible. Look at these girls. If you knew our story, you would, you would only see the goodness of God. You wouldn't have any judgy looks and you would have nothing mean or harsh to say to us. Um, And the people that do have the mean or harsh thoughts or make judgments without information, they're walking through their own problem. They're not even worth the time. And that's one Mm -hmm. thing I've had to, not necessarily related to what you're talking about, but in general, you know, the devil loves to use like shame or the opinions of people that think they know what's going on to make you feel uncomfortable in what God's calling to do or who you are or whatever. There's just that noise. And Mm -hmm. so I love that you just sort of decided to own it. Yes. Yep. And that's, I I love it too, because, you know, if you look at the Instagram name, Dear Little Ducklings, it's like my little duckling daughters. We, We don't look alike at all, but people know that we belong. You know, they know that we're together. I hope you're enjoying today's episode. Before we continue, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to the Custom Made Kid podcast. Don't miss out on future episodes. If you or someone you know has a foster or adoption story that needs to be told, I'd love to hear from you. 
email connect at custommadekid.com. So what's a most asked question you get? Like as a single or as a mom of so many, what would be one of the, the main things that you have to explain to people or that they just are curious about? That's going to take a minute. I do know that the most stated phrase to me is, I don't know how you do it. And a lot of people will say, I only have one kid and I'm struggling. Like, I don't know how you do it. I actually love when people say that because sometimes I just say, I don't know how I do it either. (laughs) You know, just like keep them confused. But, (laughs) But there's other times when I say, like I get to have an actual heart to heart with someone and just say, I don't know how I do it either. I just know why I do it. And I, and I do it because they, they need someone to do You're testifying. And I love that because that's the wonderful part about what you're doing is you, your life is a testimony. And I feel like that's what God wants from us. It's not this like stand on a street corner and say, I love Jesus, heaven or hell, you choose kind of thing. Like if we're doing it right as believers, all we're doing is living out what we're good at according to what God created us to do. And it's going to make people take notice. And then either they're going to say, wow, I want to do something great. That's not my gift. This is, or they're going to say, man, I've got that expectant feeling that you described earlier, like God's birthing something in me. And all you have to do is live and do you, you know? I mean, how great is that? That that's the way we can bring testimony instead of beating people over the heads. For sure. No, for sure. Because especially a lot of the conversations that that I have are centered around the fact that I am single and I, I have adopted as a single. I am fostering as a single lady. And a lot of, a lot of people say like, I didn't even know you could foster Mm -hmm. single. I thought you had to be married. I thought you had to do this, do that. So it really does open up that conversation of like, what do you feel called to do? You don't have to wait on perfect circumstances. If it's burning within you, just do it. One of the reasons why I did do this single was I felt God calling me to pioneer it pioneer this foster care journey, adoption journey as a single woman. Well, so that kind of gives me chills because you're saying that. And then I instantly, it popped in my mind about you saying when you were a little girl, you thought you'd be on a mission field. You had part of it, right? Like you may not be in a village in Africa somewhere, but you are pioneering something and you are serving in a very kind of similar capacity as what you saw as a little girl. God just chose to do it a little different. God just showed me that my mission field is literally our backyard. What do you wish people didn't say? Like, is there one thing that you feel like people don't, aren't aware of that you would love to bring awareness to about Um, kind of your circumstances? Yes. I feel like they don't mean to say the things that they say. They're just curious or they just don't know. And so sometimes they'll say things where it's like to us who have been in the foster care world or the adoption world, we're like, oh my goodness, why would you say that? But to them, it's just a simple question. With my girls, my three adopted girls, I just had this recently where someone looked at my seven-year-old and was like, do you still get to see your family and and the look and on this her is face, your adopted seven year old. My adopted seven year old. Yes. Okay. The look on Grace's face 
she did not know how to answer that because in her mind, she's like thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Yeah. Like this is family. We are family. And so, you know, we kind of get that a lot where someone will just come up to us and then they want to like talk to us in person, whether it be like Walmart or (laughs) wherever they might say something that they truly are just curious about, but it comes across as, oh, wow, I wish you wouldn't have just said that. Like, well, um, so where's their real mom? Mm. Where's their, is there, do they still know their real mom? Yeah. (laughs) And Delaney. Okay. So there's grace for that because there was a biological mom in the picture. You can't wipe out that story and it wouldn't even be right to, but at the same time, To discredit the mother that's there doing life with them, loving them every day, standing in the gap for them, showing them biblical womanhood. I mean, they they can't possibly know all the wrongs that they committed because they've Mm -hmm. never been there. But for those in it, that's that's tough to swallow. It is. And and Delaney, um, so she's my 11 year old. She just has such grace when she is talking to other people about either her story or just adoption in general. Like she speaks the adoption language so well in that she will, she's comfortable in, in talking about her birth mom. She's comfortable in talking about her adoption story. But sometimes when those kinds of things are said to her, she's like, this is my real mom. (laughs) Good for her though. I mean, that's okay. They shouldn't have to go through their life justifying their story or justifying whose mom. And let it also be said that just because a child is adopted or in foster care, it doesn't mean their parents are bad. I mean, we all go through things and we all make mistakes. Not caring for your child is the better thing for that child. Mm -hmm. Then that doesn't necessarily make you a horrible person. You might not understand it because that is not the way that you were raised or you haven't walked that road. But like we should all put aside those biases that it means that they are bad parents in the picture if these children are not with them. Yes, yes, for sure. Let's talk about post-adoption because one of the things that we had talked about earlier was about all of the resources that you had in place when you were fostering the girls. Mm -hmm. And then once the adoption actually happened, there was a little bit of change in emotion and momentum. And we both agreed that we kind of had a post-adoption depression. And I don't think that's talked about a lot in the community. One, because if you're in my place and you've come out of a season of infertility and then God blesses you with a baby, there's almost this stigma like, you better shut your mouth. You've been asking Mm -hmm. for this Mm -hmm. blessing. Now you have it. So how are you going to be sad about it or complain? And then your post-adoption depression is a little bit different. So let's talk about what you went through. There were several things leading up to just what I went through post-adoption. I will say that I feel like our case kind of, hmm, it was, it was a speedy case in my mind because they came into care at the end of 2015. And by July of 2017, we were finalizing adoption. So I say that it was quick, but well, during that is the process sort of quick in the, yes, in the foster, in care, the foster world. care world, because yeah. it, 
it wasn't an adoption case at first. You know, it, the plan was reunification. So reunica- reunification is usually a longer process because the parents that are biological parents are often given tools and counseling and resources right. and multiple chances before any sort of termination of parental rights takes place because right. they try to give the children and the family every chance they can for that reunification. So two years in that world is pretty quick. Yes, it, it is. And I feel like you know, every reunification plan is going to be different. Every foster care case is going to be different. Ours was a little unique in the in the sense that actually no visits happened. The court hearings went by very quickly because there wasn't a whole lot of involvement on the birth family side, the sure. biological family side. Yeah, if so, there's a lack of compliance, that accelerates yeah. things. When I'm talking about post-adoption, I feel like everything happened so fast from 2015 until 2017 that you were just, I was just in it. And it was yeah. like chaotic and it was crazy and it was fast. And then it was the Here adoption talk came about and then it was like, I'm adopting. Oh my gosh. And then in my mind, I was thinking, I'm young, I'm single. I'm just starting this foster care journey. I'm just going to foster. I'm going to give whoever needs it a, a safe, loving, temporary home. So that was yeah. my mind. My temporary, mindset. the word jumps out at me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I guess I should kind of finish the story that I trailed off of earlier when I said I was expecting. And then I got the call that these three girls were actually going to come into my home as a foster care placement. I knew in my heart, I knew these are my girls. Wow. Just having that in my heart, knowing that these girls were meant to be with me, but then also knowing, you know, there's going to be a reunification plan. And I, I sometimes struggle to even tell people that I just knew that they were mine because I don't want to ever come across as like the foster parent that wants to bypass the real world. Yeah. Yes, for sure. But, but I also can't lie and say that there was like nothing in my heart that just knew that these girls were going to be with me. But that is a Holy Spirit conversation mm-hmm. separate from I'm a foster mom. Yes. When it came time to the, the termination of parental rights and, and then the adoption conversation, I felt like it was just all so quick that I went through the adoption and it was beautiful. It was awesome. But then... There was a couple months after the adoption where I was hit with just a wave of heavy feelings. That's called um, responsibility. You know, so, I mean, yeah. I think you wake up when when all of that is said and done and you've been sort of like under fire, like lots going on. Like you said, lots of change in your life in a short period. Two years is not that long. Mm-hmm. And then you've got these three little ducklings or three mm-hmm. people who are now yours and they're all your responsibility. And yes. if I'm not mistaken, and tell me if I'm wrong or clarify here, you you don't have the same financial resources. You don't have the counseling in place and those kind of things. Like things change a bit once you've accepted full responsibility. Am I, is right. that right? Yes, that is correct. So, so we went from, in our foster care, care world, there was a caseworker who came out every month. There was a court-appointed advocate who came out every month and checked on the girls and checked on us. And um, then there was 
I'm through a private agency. So I even have a foster care consultant who came out like every couple weeks. And then the girls, um, had a trauma therapist that they worked with. So there was a team in place to support the girls and I community. I mean, it was, yeah. And it, it gets to the point where you're like, who wants to have a ton of people in their house all the time. But when it's taken away, you realize that they were support to you. You, you, you do. It's that responsibility. It's like, it's, it's all on you now. Gravity. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, to put it in the the silliest terms possible, my seven-year-old is like a, I mean, a fire hydrant. When she wakes up in the morning, it's like you shoot her out of a cannon (laughs) and she goes like that all day long. And there is not a moment of silence when she goes to bed. Like my ears almost ring from the silence. And, and I say that in a funny way because like, I love her and, but she drives me nuts. If it's, it's almost like that with what you were talking about, like there's Mm -hmm. so much going on. So then when those resources are not there, there's gotta be a vacuum. Yes. Right. Whether it's through foster care or private adoption, you feel like you're going at max speed and you might even be on in survival mode during the process. And then everything's finalized and it's so beautiful. But then there's just this moment where everything becomes so real to you. And probably a little bit of that fear that you'd been pushing off to the side can kind of creep back up and you might feel insecurities about your parenting or even for me, it was even, I was feeling so much grief for biological family. Yeah. Because this is not God's ideal plan, right? It doesn't mean that it's not beautiful or that he doesn't redeem these things. But for these children, none of us want children to experience trauma. Yes, that's so true. And for, for me, like I mentioned, there were there were no family visits set up during this entire journey. And so for me, I didn't know how to navigate biological family relations after adoption. And that weighed heavily on me because I'm thinking about my girls who need to still know their birth family. And I'm trying to navigate that relationship and the boundaries that need to come along with it. And it was just like this world of emotions just surrounded me. And it was like, I didn't know that that world existed. I didn't know that these feelings existed post-adoption until I, I was talking to my mom one night and I was like, mom, I know I've never, you know, had a pregnancy and I've never given birth, but I feel the same as when I've, I've talked to a friend or a family member who was struggling with postpartum depression. That's like, interesting you say that because I adopted an, Landry as an infant mm-hmm. and I've had two biological daughters since then and neither one of those did I feel a postpartum depression. I did have a little bit with my middle daughter postpartum anxiety. It was like this low level, like I stuck my finger in an electric socket, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of this buzz of anxiety. And, but with Landry, I did have depression. Like my hair fell out because of the stress of the adoption process. Just all these things coming at me at once, home studies and lawyers and invoices after invoice. And so like, here I am in this stress mode, this constant, like adrenal, just craziness. And then the adoption happens and 
then it's real, you know, and things kind of stop, like come to a screeching halt in a way. And now you're just doing real life, like quote unquote normal. And then on top of that for me, and I don't know if it was like this for you, but I'm still getting to know this person, you know, whereas (laughs) with my biological daughters, I kind of had the benefit of, of knowing sort of their schedule and feeling kicks and getting used to the idea of them and mentally preparing, which I need mental prep time in an ideal world. I'm better when I have mental prep time. That doesn't mean I don't like always put myself in situations where (laughs) I just go. I remember one day in particular, not too long after, like I was watching her one morning and she was just disrupted, you know, just crying and angry and I couldn't settle her. And I remember having this moment of anger thinking my whole life changed in 15 days and you're the one crying, you know, which was totally irrational. She was an infant and I was a grown up. But I did. I had this moment of like, I don't know you and you don't love me. And I don't know what I feel yet about you. Like I chose you. I'm choosing to love you. But the feelings hadn't showed up yet. And if that makes me a horrible person, so be it. You know, you have nine months to fall in love with biology. And Mm. then you're falling in love with children in your home as they're there. That's different. Yeah. And, and for me, I mean, I, that all resonates so, so much for me, um, because with our adoption, the adoption was finalized in July, but January through up to adoption day, it was just like this huge question mark (laughs) over our lives because up to that point, you know, you have all of these court proceedings and paperwork and questions and matchings and all of this stuff to where you are honestly uncertain if this is actually going to go through or not. Well, you Um, feel like a puppet if I I did. Yes. Uh, You know, like I felt like everyone around me was deciding my future as I'm just sitting there waiting, you know, and and you, your entire, your entire life becomes just this open book for professionals. (laughs) You know, they're prying in on your personal life and your business and all of that to where then the adoption is finalized and you've got these children to take care of. And then for me, it was crazy because adoption was in July by, I want to say by August or September, I had sold my house and I did not have another home lined up. Oh, wow. So So you've got all these little people and nowhere to live. (laughs) Yes. And I, but God was calling me to do that and I didn't understand it. And then we actually went and we lived with my mom for a few months. And so then we had to switch schools and there was just so much change in such a short amount of time that it was like my body and my mind was just playing catch up to everything that had happened the last year and a half. And so then we're going through hardships and it was like, gosh, I thought we were supposed to be like going through like post-adoption bliss where it's like Like, amazing. Yeah. Give me the honeymoon, please. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so in my mind, I even went through these ugly moments of like where the girls are going through, you know, school struggles or whatever. And I'm thinking I sacrificed my entire life for this. Yeah. And that was, those were ugly thoughts, but that was the post-adoption, just wave of depression or anxiety, whatever you want to call it. It was so okay, real. But is that ugly or is that human? You it know was what I mean? Hum- like- it was human. But, but if I were to, if I were to tell that to other people, they'd be thinking, but you chose that, Abby, you yeah. chose that. 
you know, you do, you do, <laughs> you choose the hard too, but it is nice to have joy in there and yes. comfort and seasons of rest and those things. Like just because we chose a hard path doesn't mean we should be under fire all the time. We right. need rest too. Absolutely. So I wanted to touch a little bit on one of my main, just the main struggle that I went through at that time was my daughter Delaney would have been nine, I believe, nine or 10, 10. I think she just turned 10. And uh, first of all, is that not the most awkward age? Nobody Ever. does 10 well. Like 10 to 12, it's a nightmare. Yes. Okay, so so I'll preface it with that. I had that. a mullet, I'm pretty sure, at that age. So let's just say that. Yes. So she's just a typical 10-year-old. But for me, we just had some like bonding struggles. But it wasn't that I didn't love her or that we didn't get along. I just, because I was going through this like just anxiety, depression, she was trying to attach to me so much that I, I just felt that need. Like I felt how much she needed me and it scared me so much. Here's this 10 year old. She's been through so much in her short life. She is just showing me, telling me every single day, like how great her need is for me to be her mom. And it scared me because at that time I was thinking, I don't know if I can be all that she needs me to be for her. Well, and that's the enemy. I mean, like, doesn't Mm -hmm. he love to say that? I swear in some form or another, his favorite phrase is you're not enough. Oh, so, so much. Yes. Yes. And here you are, like you're absorbing your children's wounds and your pain because that's your job. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you're not allowed to say it or that it won't have moments where it just feels too heavy. It's just hard. And it's okay to say that. And I don't know why people don't, because if more people did, then I feel like there would be this a little bit more prepared mentality when you go into foster care instead of, oh, it should be, you know, you either hear the horror stories or like the heavens opened up and yes. there's everything in there, all combinations. And it doesn't matter if it's biology or adoption. Life is hard, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, for Um, sure. One phrase though, you and I agreed on hardcore was that, you know, so if we've scared everyone off so far, let's bring them back. (laughs) (laughs) There's the, that phrase that both of us said, we feel in our spirit so hardcore, which is, I could have missed this. I almost missed this. Like, and I have moments like that when I look at my little girl, when I pray for her and she's laying there in bed. And I think I was one small choice away from missing my entire future. Like, God, what if I had made a mistake? You know, like that's haunting to me a little bit. Yes. Yes. For me, and I honestly can't even remember if I touched on this or not, but I actually said no. When they asked me if I would be willing to adopt them, I said no at first. Even knowing that, like from that beginning, when you had that feeling like, these are my girls, you still said no. Because my heart knew, but my head could not wrap around the fact that I needed to say yes. Because in my head, it was like, I'm a single girl. I'm a young single girl. And they are asking me to adopt three little girls. 
and yeah, I had one to four like that. Yes. Yep. Yes. And I had, I had some people even telling me like, you've done all that you could. <laughs> you, you've done all that you could, Abby, you've done what you needed to do with them. And that was coming from a place where they they were saying, you know, and they were confirming the, the lies of the enemy within me that I wasn't enough for them because who would willingly single parent and, and adopt at the same time? Well, and that's we're programmed not to choose hard. Like yes. the American thing is, let's choose easy. Let's, I mean, social media is a perfect example. No one's putting the crazy, nasty stuff on there. Mm-hmm. When we take selfies, we take 14 of them and pick the best one. We don't want life to be hard or look bad or not perfect by nature. It's hard to drop the mask, but we should. Right. And then, you know, even believers, I think, can confirm lies on accident because mm-hmm. there I feel like sometimes we try to help each other and really in reality we we are hurting one another. Yes. Um, absolutely. when we're getting in the way of the Holy Spirit. As Christians, I feel like our comment should be to people like are you really seeking the Lord about this? Are you mm-hmm. praying about this? And if you are, it doesn't matter if it looks full-blown nuts. Right. If God calls you to that yes, you do it because he'll equip you. Oh, absolutely. And, and so the whole, like, I could have missed this is it's the moments where I think about the fact that I almost said, I almost went through with my no, because Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And just thinking like they need more than I can give them because for me, I grew up without a dad and I didn't want that for them. You know, I was thinking they need a father, but, I, but, but the only thing that I could see was I can't give that to them right now. And so I almost said, no, I could have missed it so easily. Well, back up when I added, or when I said earlier about how sometimes my default is to side with fear instead of what I know God has already said over a situation bad. or over my promise that he, he's given me for my life. I honor the glimpses so much because I look at my life and I realize that God has always exceeded every expectation that I've had for my life. So when I was, when I was thinking about saying no, because I couldn't give them a dad, I couldn't give them a father. And that's what I desire for them. I know that these girls will have a father one day and he will be so good. And, and in so the kind. meantime, they have a heavenly father that took care of every need that, that they have for now. Exactly. Because yes, yes. And, and I know because God exceeds every expectation that we will have a physical representation in our lives of a father who reflects our heavenly father. What you said earlier, you sandwiched two words together and they keep popping in my mind. So I'm not going to ignore the cue, but you said brave obedience and brave Mm -hmm. by itself can often be stupidity (laughs) (laughs) and obedience. That's just duty falls flat. Yes. But when you put brave obedience together, which is this like God given, just Lord, I'm going to walk forward one baby step at a time. And as long as I'm checking each step with you and you're saying, yeah, take another one then he's not going to let you fall flat. 
And so right. like you said, in, it doesn't mean it won't be hard. It doesn't mean things won't get crazy. It doesn't mean that you won't question or hear people questioning for you. But it does mean he shows up every single time. Every time, brave obedience. That has been my motto for this foster care journey is just, Abby, just do it with brave obedience. One of my best friends, she quoted me on something that I wrote and she sent it to me and she was like, this is, this is like the motto of your life. It's like written on my heart because like I said, sometimes I do like to side with fear instead of the brave obedience. I wrote about how I did say no at first about adoption. And then, I mean, obviously God was like, Abby, come on. (laughs) And you got this. Yeah. So, so then I did follow through with brave obedience, but I was saying, you know, like the next time this big, beautiful, messy and scary opportunity presents itself over my life, I'm going to consider the joy of my yes first instead of the safety of my no. Oh, and that's what brave obedience is. It is. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So definitely putting the link to that article in the show notes because I want to read it, but I think there are probably some people that are curious to read it as well. And then, um, let's finish with, and, and I mean, I can't thank you enough for being willing to tell your story because I do believe that storytelling changes the world. So I love this. If somebody is out there listening to your story and they're super touched by it or want to know more or just have something to say to you, hopefully an encouragement, Mm -hmm. where can they find you? Um, definitely Instagram and the, my name on Instagram is dear little ducklings. Well, I, again, I can't thank you enough for your time and say that phrase one time again. Let's leave with that. Oh yes. So the next time a big, beautiful, messy, scary opportunity presents itself over my life, I'll consider the joy of my yes first instead of the safety of my no. Boom. That's perfect. Thank you for joining our show today. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes of the Custom Made Kid podcast. To learn more about the vision behind the Custom Made Kid Foundation, you can visit our website at custommadekid.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again, and I'm already looking forward to our next episode this same time next week.